Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see y'all. My name is Brian, and uh, honestly, it's uh, great to be back up here. Uh, a little bit more towards the center. Here we go. Uh, back up here in the pulpit sharing God's word with you this morning. Uh, if you didn't know this, it's actually the first day of spring, uh, which means, amen, uh, which means hopefully we're done with the uh, monotonous, always gray skies of Indiana all through winter. Uh, it also means that we're at the uh, cusp of March Madness. Uh, any IU fans out there? Yeah, sorry. Not as enthusiastic as you used to be. Uh, Purdue fans? You know, I have to say I'm sorry. Uh, and I will try to be a good sport when Texas beats you all tonight. Uh, but if, if you don't know, uh, March Madness is college basketball and it doesn't matter at all. Okay, so we're going to turn to what does matter, and that's God's word. So if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in a row in front of you. Uh, we'd love for you to take that with you. We're opening it up to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. You know, if you recall, we started off our sermon series uh, in January with the uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. We were looking at these uh, letters to the churches uh, the, uh, that Jesus wrote, uh, the the parts that were commended and the things that were challenged and some things were outright condemned. And, and honestly, that was particularly convicting because uh, there's things on that that I celebrate that God says no. And there are things on that that I don't think about that God says hold fast to this. And so it was a really great series. A couple of weeks ago, we turned to 1 Timothy, uh, which if you recall, is uh, this is a letter written by Paul to his uh, essentially child in the faith, Timothy, who is an elder overseer at the church in Ephesus. And he's instructing Timothy, like, hey, I'm giving you this charge to lead the church in this way, protect sound doctrine, to teach you how to operate in the context of the household of God. And we're turning now to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, as we do that, we're going to see that Tim, uh, Paul kind of transitions from, hey, protect this, I charge you with this, into, okay, now here's how we get that done. So we're going to see a lot of practical. Uh, but I want to start really by reading in 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. So if you'll join me there. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. I love Paul's language there. It's just like so vivid. They, they've shipwrecked their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. When I was first reading this this week, uh, diving in, I'm like, yeah, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. And it, it seems a little bit more like Peter than Paul. Peter's kind of just all over the place. I had a thought. I had a thought. I had 
Paul is generally very logical and I was wrestling through this like, man, what is the thread that Paul is trying to pull through this entire passage? And I would suggest to you that the thread for the whole thing is uh, 1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. As we look at the passage, and as I kind of, uh, if you have, if you underline, if you mark things in your Bible, it's a good thing to do. Uh, right here, verse 4, is essentially the lens through which we're going to look at the rest of this passage. Saved and truth. Everything Paul says before that, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3, flows into this idea that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And everything that he says after that flows out of that idea that it's uh, one God, one mediator. He's kind of going on and saying he's, a, he's an apostle, a preacher of these things. The, the lens, the foundation, the fulcrum, the, the key to this whole passage is this verse right here, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, 4. See, one of the things Paul is trying to say here is that believers are to live a life of gospel magnetism. We're supposed to live a life that draws people, I'm gonna trip over that a lot. You'll just bear with me that, it'd be kind of amusing, but. What he's trying to say is, listen, the totality of our lives is to be a giant magnet that draws people to the one true gospel. And as he's explaining this, he's giving us some things. Here's firstly do this and then live like this because of that. And so as we dive into this passage today, what we're going to see is that Paul is going to lay out, I think, three key things that will motivate and equip us to live a life that attracts other people to the gospel. We're going to do that by kind of crafting a long run-on sentence. Uh, but so as we dive in, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Is your life a magnet attracting other people to the gospel? Or is your life a magnet repelling them from the gospel? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. You say in your word that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that as you reconciled people to yourself, you entrusted some of that to us, that we would be your ambassadors. And so, Lord, help us to see very clearly how we can live a life that draws others to the gospel, avoiding the things that repel them and soaking in the things that draw others. Lord, help us to see it, help us to be convicted by it, and help us to see you and your love and your desire for all people in these words. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul starts at the beginning. First of all, then pray. He even is telling us at the beginning, it's not just the beginning of this chapter. In some ways, this is the beginning of the instructions to Timothy that follow. First of all, pray. In order to live a life that attracts other people to the gospel, Pray. pray. Prayer is primary, not ancillary. Prayer is a first step, not a last resort. Pray first, pray during, pray always. And I'm not trying to hammer this point too hard because, yeah, we get it, but I don't always. In fact, 
just telling myself here for a minute, yesterday, uh, made some breakfast for the kids on a Saturday morning. We kind of gathered around the table and I was uh, asking them like, hey, I would love to answer some questions you have about faith or life. You know, let's, let's have some good dialogue, some things like that. And uh, as they were wrestling through some of the questions, one of the things that came up, almost every kid said, help me, to how do I tell other people about Jesus? Which is an awesome question. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to dive into the gospel. We're going to talk about some rich theology. Like I'm starting to think through some categories for how they can understand and explain the gospel. You know what I didn't tell them to do? First of all, pray. I'm literally preparing this message. I've been soaking it in all week and I had the opportunity and I miss it. So the reason that I'm hearing this home is not because it's unclear, but because I don't often go there. First of all, pray. I want you to see here that as uh, Paul is explaining this to Timothy, he's using different words to describe prayer. He's using four of them, in fact. He says, uh, I urge that supplications, which is like that carries this nuance of our own personal insufficiency. He also says um, uh, intercessions, prayers. Prayers is, is literally just the word for communion and talking to God. Intercessions carries with it this idea that I'm interceding on behalf of someone else. I'm talking to God on behalf of someone else. And then he says, and thanksgivings, which is praise and worship, adoration, thanking the Lord for who he is and what he's done. Paul is saying all of these together. In many ways, you know, if I'm uh, trying to coach my kids a little bit and I've got, uh, maybe they need to get, you know, get on their homework, I might say things like, hey, I want you to study hard. I want you to do your best. I want you to get, take good notes. I want you to listen well. But essentially what I'm saying is like, just stay on top of it. Each of those has a unique expression of it. But in totality, what I'm saying is leverage everything you got for your grades. That's what Paul is doing for Timothy here. He's saying, hey, it's good to pray, recognizing your own insufficiency, commune with God, talk to him about it, intercede on behalf of others, and thank them. And the way he's saying is, hey, listen, all kinds of prayer for this. All kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. See, as we recognize our own insufficiency and our own inability to make our kids come to Christ, we pray. We intercede on their behalf and we praise God for the work that he's doing to bring them to himself. When I don't know how to answer my neighbor's questions, I am thank the Lord that he's revealed himself in his word. I don't have to go and figure it out on my own. I don't know how to answer that, but I, but I believe that it's found in God's revealed word and I'm going to study it. And so we thank God. Man, it's not on me. Praise the Lord for that. All kinds of prayer for all kinds of people because God desires all kinds of people to be saved. We're to pray for all people. We're to live a life that draws other people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that begins with prayer. So I want to give you the opportunity right now. We're just going to kind of pause, and I'll promise I'll be quiet for a minute. And then I want you to ask the Lord. Just spend a minute in prayer. Just ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to impress upon you the name of somebody that he's drawing to himself, somebody in your life that you can be praying for. You, you can write it down in your notes. You can scribble it in the margin of your Bible, whatever you want. Get that name in your head.
So we pray for all people because prayer creates gospel magnetism. And then there's this little movement that Paul makes. And honestly, it's like it's a little surprising and it's very interesting. Paul urges them to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. First of all, then I urge you supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, it's not hard to understand the command. It's not hard to understand what he's actually asking us to do. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. I get it. But when we understand who Paul had in mind when he was saying this, I think it deepens our understanding of exactly why he's asking us to do that. The book of 1 Timothy is believed to have been written between A.D. 64 and A.D. 65. You can see a map here. Um, uh, It was written possibly while Paul was traveling to Macedonia. Uh, He would have been in house arrest in Rome for a couple of years. He was traveling through Macedonia, uh, sharing the gospel, strengthening churches, and he's writing to uh, Timothy, who's in Ephesus. At this time, the entire known world is under the authority of the Roman Empire, and you can kind of see that there. Uh, On the uh, southern side would be what eventually we would come to know as Africa. you got Asia to the northeast. Essentially, they're all under the Roman authority, and the emperor at this time is the Emperor Nero. Now, any of you have any uh, knowledge of history, give me just a, a thumbs up if he's a good guy, a thumbs down if he's not a good guy. I don't think we have enough thumbs to explain just how evil and uh, tyrannical this guy is. He is not a good guy. He's the baddest of bad guys. I pulled uh, a little description of the first persecution from uh, Fox's uh, Book of Martyrs. The first persecution of the church, and this would be systemic persecution of the church, began around AD 64. So the church is beginning this systemic persecution at the same time that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and it began under Nero, the sixth emperor of Rome. See, prior to this, any persecution was likely from the, the Jewish religious elite. They were like, not like that, and it was more pockets of it, maybe individual, and now we're seeing systemic uh, persecution against the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs said this, this monarch, Nero, reigned for several years with tolerable credit to himself, meaning like for a couple of years he was just okay, before giving away to the greatest extravagancy of temper and to the most atrocious barbarities. Among other diabolical whims, he ordered that the city of Rome should be set on fire. While it was in flames, he went up and uh, played his, uh, to a tower, played his harp, sang the song of the burning of Troy, and openly declared that he wished the ruin of all things before his death. The fire uh, lasted for uh, nine days, and when Nero realized that everyone blamed him for it, he uh, became severely depressed and was determined to blame and lay the entirety of the blame on Christ followers. This was the occasion of the first persecution and the barbarities exercised on Christians were such as Nero refined his own cruelty, contrived all manner of punishments for the Christians In particular, he had some sewed up in skins of wild beasts and fed to dogs. Others dressed in shirts made of stiff wax affixed to trees. 
and lit on fire in order to illuminate his gardens. This general persecution was general throughout the, the whole Roman Empire, but instead of decreasing the spirit and diminishing the spirit of Christianity, it increased it. It was during this persecution that St. Paul and St. Peter would be martyred. This is the guy. When Paul is telling Timothy, hey, be praying for kings and authorities above you, he's calling to mind Nero. This is not a good guy. He's calling an evil, tyrannical man to mind and saying, pray for this man. Pray for the one who had the power to change the culture, influence the way believers were able to practice their devotion to God. And in the context of this, he's not asking Timothy to pray for his overthrow. He's calling Timothy to pray for his salvation. For their willingness to let believers live godly lives to their fullest. And I want you to notice there's no opt-out clause. There's no opt-out clause for disagreement. There's no opt-out clause for morality. There's no opt-out clause for political affiliation. Pray for kings and all who are in authority. We don't get to choose who we pray for. If they're in authority, we're supposed to pray for them. Let me say this another way for us. Because of our primary citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, and because our primary mission is to see disciples made to bring glory to Jesus Christ, and because our primary devotion is to God, we can say with confidence that our prayers matter more than our votes. Now, I'm not suggesting that voting doesn't matter. In fact, it is a gift from God that we are able to be engaged in this process, that we're able to leverage any influence and authority we might have in order to uh, uh, set up a, a, an environment where we can fully practice devotion to God. But at times I think voting has let us forget who's truly sovereign. So yes, absolutely vote and engage in the world around you. But the scriptures are urging us to pray. That's our top responsibility. Pray first, pray during, pray always, all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people, including government leaders, because God desires all people to be saved. We're going to have a chance to respond in prayer. Um, but, uh, you know, as I was wrestling through this, I'm like, I don't even know if I know the government leaders. I'm being urged to pray for this, and I can think of, like, you know, a handful, three or four. They're probably not the ones that have direct influence on how I'm able to go about it and live my life. And so uh, some of our staff, they did some great work. They put together a list so that we can obey what Scripture is urging us to do. And so uh, if you have a phone, you can uh, pull out the QR code, and it gives you a list of uh, uh, government leaders over uh, Johnson County, Greenwood, Franklin, Indiana, our federal government. It gives you an opportunity 
opportunity to actually go and do what Scripture is urging us to do. You can also find that at uh, RedeemerResources.Church. It gives us an opportunity to do that because if we see that prayer is what attracts others to the gospel, then prayerlessness becomes a barrier to the gospel. And so let us pray. In order to live a life of gospel magnetism, first of all, pray. Number two, so that we can live at peace. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. See, these prayers should affect how we live. The leading action of what scripture is urging us to do is pray. But the trailing action, the result of that prayer, is that we would live a life of peace and quiet, godly and dignified in every way. Pray so that we can live at peace. That's what we're being urged to do. You know, the words peace and quiet here are so close. They're like almost synonymous, but not quite. It's kind of like if you uh, go to uh, Home Depot and you're like, I want to paint my wall and I want to paint it gray. And they're, you know, they'll say, oh, do you want lunar surface or shark fin? And apparently there's a difference there. There's a little bit different shading, but it's, I, that, that's kind of what's happening here with the words peace and quiet, peaceful and quiet. The word peaceful is giving us this nuance of internal harmony that we are a people who are at peace, that we are a people who are at peace internally. The word quiet is giving this idea, this nuance of uh, uh, harmony with external, internal harmony for peace, external harmony for quiet, that, that we are at peace internally with God and we are a people who are at peace externally with others because Internal peace with God and external peace with others breeds gospel intrigue. See, chaos, strife, drama, they'll bring eyeballs, but not so that somebody can learn to live that way. When you're driving past a massive car accident, you're probably going to crane your neck and look because you're interested in what happened, but you're not looking to figure out how to end up there. You're not looking to learn how to emulate that experience. We are followers of Christ, though. We should live in such a way that people ask questions, live questionable lives so that people say, how is it that you live that way? Amen. When you're at peace in the midst of crisis, people notice. When you're loving, even when you're mistreated, people notice. When you sacrifice more than seems normal, people notice. When you or your kids get a call against them on the soccer field and you encourage rather than yell at the ref, people notice. When your hope and refuge is in something other than your own achievements, your bank account, and your own security in this world, people notice. How is it that you are at peace while everything is burning around you? Jesus Christ. 
Internal peace with God and external peace with others breeds gospel intrigue, and the opposite is also true. Disharmony, chaos, drama, selfishness, gossip, impatience, quarreling, unrighteous anger, person who is internally fighting and externally fighting repels others from the gospel. Brennan Manning said it this way, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus Christ with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So if prayerlessness is a barrier to the gospel, so is believers behaving badly. We're to pray for all people, pray for government authorities, so that we can live a life of peace and harmony, godly and dignified in every way. Because that's good, and that's pleasing in the eyes of God, our Savior. So I want to ask if you evaluated the totality of your life, each part, each relationship, every post on social media, are you living with peace and quiet in such a way that people are attracted to the gospel or repelled from it? Because God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, we're moving now to the other side of this equation as we look at that foundation that God desires all people to come to, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Paul is going to shift from practical behavior, pray and live like this, now to theological understanding because, number three, the gospel alone is the gospel for all. The gospel alone is the gospel for all. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, Paul, what is that saving truth? For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. As you read through that, go back and look at 1 through 7 in its entirety. And I want you to notice all of the places that Paul says all. Do you see? First of all, pray for all people and all who are in high positions that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All, 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 all. And then, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ, who the one who gave himself up as a ransom for all. See, Paul is doing this interesting wordplay where he's like, hey, listen, all, inclusive, all, everyone, all the people. But then he's saying only, exclusive. This is the only truth. 
If you remember, in the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the fact that there was some false doctrine that was coming into uh, the church at Ephesus. And Paul was like saying, hey, let's fight against that. Let's wage the good warfare against stuff that's not true. And let's hold fast to what is true. He's explaining this truth, this inclusive call for all to be involved in the gospel that is exclusively true, but he's explaining it in a very unique and particular way. If we remember the context of the false doctrine, uh, most of what we saw last week was a guarding against adding the law back into the gospel. That for the church in Ephesus, there was a lot of uh, people who had, you know, grown up Jewish and or from that tradition. And so they were like, yeah, I know I need Jesus. But uh, listen, the Jews were a little bit special. And if we do these things, then, you know, I need Jesus to be in the line. But because I'm Jewish and because of the things I'm doing, I get to be at the front of the line. And Paul's like, listen, guys, we got to get rid of that. Timothy, fight for this. And so as he's going through these things, he's saying it in a very, very particular way. And I want to show that to you. When Paul says to Timothy, he's saying, hey, who is God? There is one God, 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one mediator, Jesus Christ. We can run through it. Uh, in, in the atonement, which the word for atonement there is, uh, atonement is basically uh, uh, how one pays for the penalty that they have incurred. And the way that that was paid for was through the ransom of Jesus Christ. The way we are atoned for is Jesus' finished work on the cross. The action and mission that flows out of that is that we pray and live a life of gospel magnetism so that all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And how do we know this? It was the revelation of God testifying to Jesus Christ. The Word for what uh, the false doctrine was Judaizers. They were taking the law and they were taking the gospel and they were kind of putting them together and mixing them. And Paul is fighting for that. He's saying, listen, there is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mankind sinned, which created the penalty of separation from God and death. So God in his grace and mercy provided a mediator his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to sacrifice himself to pay the penalty that we could not pay. Salvation is a work of God offered freely and accepted by grace through faith. It is the exclusive answer to the only biggest problem we'll ever have, that we stand condemned as sinners in front of a holy God. There is no other way. Any other way is a false gospel. There doesn't need to be any additions to that. Any additions to that are a false gospel. The gospel alone is the gospel for all. And as I proclaim these things to a body of Christ gathered here in Greenwood, Indiana, I don't think any of you are like, I disagree. I think most of you would be like, yes, that's true. But what existed in the heart's of those who were drawn to false doctrine exists in our hearts too. Let's not be arrogant. 
Let's not suggest that we'll never be drawn astray. Let's be discerning. Let's hold fast to this and reject that which isn't. And so as I was praying this week and as I was wrestling through this, um, I want to say I, I, I truly, I think very, very highly of you all. We have a mature, God-honoring, uh, knowledgeable, doctrinally sound congregation. But Paul is steering into some uh, doctrine teaching about protecting, and I, and I wondered, in our context, what would he say to us? What is the water in which we swim that we ought to be on the lookout for, that we ought to be rejecting and holding fast to this true gospel? The world around us has rejected the inclusive, exclusive gospel in favor of a pluralistic gospel. The world around us says, hey, you just have to have faith. There are many roads that take you to God. Just pick one and follow it. There are famous people that you probably have their magazines and watch their talk shows. That pro, uh, they, they're proponents of this every day, and it's a false gospel. It's not true. There is one path. Faith in Jesus Christ. When we reject our own sinfulness, when we think, oh, we don't need the atonement, I am enough, it's false. Only the ransom of Jesus Christ is enough. And let me say this, that is an offensive statement to those who live in your neighborhood. It is offensive to look at someone in our culture and say, you are not enough. And yet, for God so loved the world that he sent his son to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay because we are not enough. It's in him because he's enough that we're restored in relationship to God. That's the gospel. When we wrongly believe that God prefers America, when our mission, instead of making disciples that glorify Jesus Christ, is taking our country back to some Judeo-Christian values and morality, and that becomes our primary uh, goal, when we equalize the Constitution in the Bible, when we see uh, the president as a mediator between us and God, along with Jesus Christ, we've headlong fallen into a false and terrible gospel. When we believe that we needed God to restore our relationship, to close that gap, to uh, uh, traverse that chasm that we sang about when we believe that we need God to do that but now I'm going to prove that I'm worthy of it by my hard work efforts and keeping of tradition we've added to the gospel in fact Paul calls that foolish in Galatians 3 it's a false gospel and when we add to the gospel, we are repelling people from the true gospel because we're drawing them to something that isn't the gospel. And it's going to let them down. In order to have a gospel magnetic life, first of all, pray. 
so that we can live at peace because the gospel alone is the gospel for all. The hopelessness of a life apart from this inclusive, exclusive gospel creates the burden in us to pray that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, it's an honest confession. If I had to look up the names of the government leaders, you know that I'm not doing great at following scripture's urgings here. But I also struggle to pray for the lost. Most of my prayers are for things that directly impact me. And Paul is urging us to more. And the reality is, I, I should be more willing to pray for that because I've seen the fruit of it. I've seen God answer those prayers. Earlier, I asked you to call to mind a name. I gave you an opportunity to think through that, to pray through that, to allow the Holy Spirit to convict. And in just a minute, we're gonna uh, give you the opportunity to come forward and write that name on one of these sticky notes and place it here at the front of the stage. And I can say this isn't the first time in my life that I've done this. A couple of years ago, six, seven years ago, I was at a church and uh, we were doing this kind of thing. And uh, I watched as one of my wife's best friends came forward and, I, and she was writing a name down and I knew what the name was. Because I knew that she had been praying for a really long time that her husband would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And she was being obedient and she was uh, you know, following the Lord and she was doing the things that, that she was supposed to do in order to uh, draw uh, her husband, Ben, to Jesus Christ. And yet it wasn't happening. And so I, I saw her move, come forward and I saw her write a name down and I'm like, I know what that name is. And after all the names were written, there was an opportunity then to come forward and to grab one of those names, to grab the little sticky note, to, to put it in your Bible and to commit to pray for that. And so I was like, I gotta get that name. I gotta get that name. And I'm like, I don't wanna be too awkward. You know, like I give it a second. And so as soon as they kind of released, I was like, grab it. And put it in my front of my Bible. And I can be honest with you that I, I did, I absolutely prayed for Ben and it wasn't as much as that I, I, I would have liked. And yet I, I got a chance to see God move in that. It was maybe a year later, six, nine months later, something like that. Uh, sitting at an Easter service and um, was a few rows behind that family and um, our pastor was proclaiming the gospel. He was inviting people to respond to the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And I'm just like, I gotta put my head down, I gotta pray for this. Like, moment where he stood up and I knew what the Holy Spirit was churning over in my heart and uh, you know, begging Lord let this be don't let him just be going to the bathroom God like so I watched him walk down I tried to follow him but not too close I don't want to make it awkward I got an opportunity to stand back as he kneeled down and he confessed Christ, as he gave his life to Jesus Christ. 
I don't know why God allowed me to be a part of that. It's his work. The Holy Spirit is the one who did the conviction. Jesus Christ finished the work, but God invited me into that. And I can tell you what that stirred in my own heart as I saw God move. And so I'm gonna invite you, band's just gonna play a little bit and there's an opportunity, I want you to come forward and I want you to write the name down of someone in your life that the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction and says, Let's pray that this person would come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in the gospel. We'll sing a little bit more and there'll be a chance to come and grab one of these and commit to pray for it. But I know it's a little weird moving around this. When we fill this space with the names of the people that our church is praying for, God will be glorified. So let's do that right now.